Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerate Geek Conversation. I am Brianna Wu. Uh, nerdiest Homo Force is not here this week, just in case you don't know who that is. That is uh, one of our listeners found out that is an anagram for Simone de Rochefort. Oh my God, that's so good. Isn't that great? That's like, so good. That's the, that is Simone. Like, there's nothing, there's no <laughs> words that describe her better than nerdiest homo force. Um, yeah, so she's not here this week, and the entire show is just going off the rails. <laughs> putting together coverage of Switch. Uh, so we're going to try to muddle through the show as best as we can. Uh, also joined with me this week is Christina Warren, Senior Tech Editor at Gizmodo. Uh, Christina, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I mean, it's it's. Um, we, I had President's Day off, which is great. Oh. But but it's bad because like puts your whole week off by like a day. So uh-huh. even though it's Wednesday, it feels like it's Tuesday. I totally get it. I totally get it. We took President's Day and my husband went and bought a new car this week. Nice. So what kind of car? It's so terrible. I is it that it Dodge? So is that Dodge? Oh, uh, Jessica. Right. Like, is this not the... <laughs> Bless like, how would, Yeah. How would you describe it, Jessica? I mean, it's a manmobile, basically. <laughs> like, it's... I, uh, I hope that their reputation for reliability is not... Uh, evident in this purchase oh god so it's basically it's a dodge challenger it looks like a batmobile <laughs> it's terrible to drive it's slow around corners and i hate ah. but I mean, christina you know this like being married is like supporting your spouse and what they're doing <laughs> even when it's dumb so. right <laughs> Yeah. Y- yes, that's so yes. true. <laughs> but but it right, goes so both ways. I mean, I, I'm does. sure that, that, that he he uh, <laughs> supports me doing dumb things too. So it's completely. I remember a few Taylor Swift concerts, Christina. I oh my God, you're that. not even wrong. Yeah, and he oh, didn't God. even bat an eye when I was like, I'm spending a thousand dollars and going to Los Angeles. See you on Sunday. <laughs> that's, that's true love. That's true love. All right. Also uh, here with me this week is Jessica Dennis. Jessica, Hello. what are you doing these days? I don't know who you're working for now. Who are you working um, for? What I don't doing? know if I should keep it a secret. I, uh, After over a decade in public higher education IT, I am now working for the man at a small subsidiary company, um, an acquisition of UL, which you might know from the stickers. Well, usually not stickers. Usually it's actually printed on there. The little labels that assure you that your toaster won't burn your house down. But I have absolutely (laughs) nothing to do with that. Um, Nothing to do with the toasters division. I'm a front-end web developer. That's awesome. That's awesome. So always good to have more developers on the show. So yeah, let's uh, let's get right back into it. Uh, you know, the first topic this week is going to be, uh, you know, Snapchat is basically launching their IPO. Uh, you know, there are a lot of dynamics around this. Uh, you know, Christina, we'll get to your awesome snarky story in a minute. <laughs> Look at their terrible financials. Uh, but, you know, also, uh, you know, Snap is located in Los Angeles. There was yep. a great piece in the New York Times looking at basically uh, what happening to LA was happened to San Francisco, right? Like um, house prices rising and like basically just dumping a huge population of, um, you know, multimillionaires <laughs> into the economy there. But I mean, Christine, let's, let's just talk about from, you know, 30,000 feet in the air. I mean, what do you think about this IPO? Um, I don't think it's going to be as successful as Facebook. Like, where do you, where do you, is this going to be a uh, Groupon or is it going to be uh, something better? Yeah. I mean, that's the big question. And yeah. it's definitely not going to be as successful as Facebook. There's no question about that. And, and 
Knapp knows that. And in fact, it, according to all the leaks that have come out of their Rose Show presentation, uh, you know, the way that they're kind of selling themselves, they're very much saying we're a camera company. They're decidedly not trying to say that we're Facebook. The problem is, though, of course, is that everyone's going to compare them to Facebook anyway, Facebook and, and Twitter, because, you know, the last time, uh, I, I guess Line was the last really big, or Alibaba uh, was probably the last really big IPO. But in the social space, you know, the last time that people were really excited about a company going public was was Twitter, and that was largely fueled by how successful Facebook was. So, I mean, this is definitely um, a, a big deal, but it because of, of of their financials, because of so many uncertain things about the company, um, I I do think, and, and investors I've talked to, there is a certain amount of there's excitement around it because it's hot and because it's very popular with a certain audience that advertisers really want and that has a lot of potential. Uh, but there's also a certain amount of hesitance because people, you know, a lot of investors got very burned on Twitter, and yeah. uh, you know, really since Facebook, we haven't seen. A tech IPO really explode, and and there are some huge fundamental differences between where Snap is as a company uh, and where, say, Facebook was. You know, uh, Facebook was already profitable to the tune of you know a couple of billion dollars a year right. when it went public, uh, whereas you know Snap, like Twitter, like Groupon, like a lot of these other companies, uh, Zynga has not shown a profit, and and based on their current run rate it will probably be quite some time before they do if they ever do. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it was even in the documents in your story, right? Like it says it right there in their IPO filing. Like we do not know if this company is ever going to, you know, we don't know we are not profitable right now. We don't know when we will be profitable. And that's, that's a statement that gives me some pause if I was investing in it. (laughs) It's not super reassuring. And I mean, I have no idea what their monetization strategy is, honestly. I mean, advertising. It, uh, yeah, but to what extent can they do that? Well, I guess the same question is asked of Instagram. To what extent can they do that without totally alienating their user base? Probably a, a greater extent than I want to think. Um, they, they've been doing ads for for quite some time, and their users, I think, are fine with it. They have a couple of different avenues. One is with sponsored lenses, which is very profitable for them, where a brand will buy a filter. Um, for, you know, Snapchat. And so, you know, it'll promote a movie or a music album or something else. And Ooh. and then the other thing is, is that as part of Instagram, you know, stories, which they have a lot of influencers on, you know, celebrities, uh, publishers, things like that, they'll basically insert, you know, pre-roll or post-roll ads in that area. And then there's the kind of the third tier um, Snapshot Discover, which is their publishing, which is the platform they use with publishers. And full disclosure, my former employer is a Snapchat Discover partner. So I know some details about how that works um, from, from a publisher standpoint. Um, the publisher is allowed to sell ads on their story. So basically, you know, you have a, a brand like Cosmo or, or Vogue or uh, or Mashable or, or The Verge who will create content specifically for the Snapchat audience. And then, you know, you read a story, you scroll up, you watch a vertical video. And then after, you know, in, interspersed in those stories are ads and the split is is uh, you know split between Snapchat and and the publishers themselves. So they've been doing ads for a while and they've been successful with it. I think initially there was worry that the audience might reject it, but I think just as as audiences you know accept it for for YouTube and and Instagram, when you can do it in a more 
less in your face way and they don't they don't have pre-roll ads which is a good thing they tend to happen mm. at the end of stories so if you're watching somebody's story at the end you'll see an interstitial um and and they tend to go after advertisers that fit with their core demographic they haven't had a lot of pushback the the question the bigger question rather than the advertising because that's fine is more the fact that a lot of their ad product and their ad tech isn't as advanced as perhaps it should be so you look yeah. at you know a company like Facebook and Twitter uh and in Facebook, especially, you know, Facebook and Google are the two biggest advertisers right now, and they have amazing ad tech and amazing services tools for advertisers. And, and Twitter, to its credit, had, you know, some really good things too. Their products haven't been as successful in the last few years. And in fact, last quarter, it was kind of a, a big problem is, is that, um, you know, their, 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 their platform hasn't been as, as uh, advertisers aren't getting as much out of it, so they're not using it as much. But the problem, the bigger problem with Snap is that advertisers, at least right now, um, brands are willing to test some of their money with Snapchat. They're willing to give it to them. But Snapchat doesn't necessarily have the infrastructure in place to serve those ads the right way and to get pe- to get the, the brands and the advertisers the analytics they might need and to make the process um, more automated. So that- that's really surprising to me because right. they have 158 million daily users, now, yes. not, not total accounts, like 158 million people. They're there all the time. And yeah, as you know, in your article, their revenue grew six times over last year, but they right. had to spend more money to get that new increased yes. revenue yes. to get yeah. it. And like you were, you're, you assume, I mean, at least I read that and I'm assuming, okay, well, they're building that kind of tech infrastructure structure. I mean, they're building those connections. Like yeah. they're, they're building up an ad business. It just seems to me that a company that doesn't have a clear line from where they are today to profitability with, you know, like this is, how can I put this? Like Twitter is a harder sell to get ads in, right? Because the entire yes. premise is around choosing what information you get and it comes in really small bits. Like I'm reading a bunch of journalists and then, oh, Arby's is trying to sell me a sandwich, (laughs) right? Like it's incongruous. Um, You know, Snapchat, this is very traditional. So what do you think the, the, why do you think they're kind of hitting that obstacle? Yeah, I'm not really sure because it's, it's not, I mean, they've, clearly grown a ton and they've invested a lot in resources, but they've kind of gone in a bunch of different directions. And I think the reality is it's just hard to build out an ad business and they maybe started in some cases later than they should have. But even if you looked, and and I didn't mention this in my article, but this has come up uh, in a couple of places, you know, the amount of money that they're spending on cloud computing is really substantial. They, they've signed Ooh. a multi-billion dollar deal with both Google and with Amazon for five years. And their Google deal in particular, because they are the biggest user of Google's cloud services. In fact, they're probably huh. the only major, major um, you know, company who doesn't use AWS or Microsoft Azure and instead uses you know, cloud compute. And what they basically guaranteed to pay Google $500 million a year for the next five years for wow. cloud computing. They've also made a similar deal with Amazon. Amazon's not going to get quite as much money. I think it's something like $200 million a year, but they've made these multi-billion dollar cloud computing contracts. And with the Google contract in particular, it says that if they don't spend as much as they claim that they will, they have to pay the difference. So they're basically beholden to Google. And, you know, 
on the one hand, I can understand why it would be difficult and maybe wouldn't be the best use of resources to build your own cloud platform and build your own, you know, storage systems. Like I can kind of understand why you would use a third party. And certainly even the biggest content places out there tend to use others and don't have their own data centers in house. But when you're spending literally billions over a five-year period, you would think you might at least be investigating what do we need to do to bring some of these resources in-house and what can we do to set down our costs? Because on the one hand, it might cost more money to build out a a broader infrastructure, but on the other hand, it might save you money in the long run. And at least according to the S1, which obviously doesn't have everything in it, it doesn't seem like they've even started the process of considering you know, weaning themselves off of the Amazons and the Googles of the world uh, which when you you're spending literally you know half a billion dollars a year just on cloud services and that's not as much money as you're taking in every year that's that's a lot like that's i don't know <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a red flag definitely some inefficiencies Jessica did you have any thoughts on that i mean i am shocked that they <laughs> are not investigating the possibility i be, I, I mean granted so i wouldn't want to deal with building my own data centers as a person if I were the boss of it. But luckily, I'm not. And if I were, I could hire people because there are like lots of people who know how to do that sort of thing. You could you could find some. I mean, Southern California does um, have some advantages like L.A. isn't a cheap area to live in, but there's a lot of talent in Southern California that's not willing to move to the Bay Area that you could like exploit. There are large universities in the area, one of which I used to work for. Yay, UCR. Um, Actually, I used to work for Georgia State University as well. That was my previous job. I remember that. Coincidentally. Um, Yeah. I mean, dealing with your own infrastructure kind of sucks, but surely somebody's doing the math like yeah i i, I, I hope, hope so I, I, yeah i, I hope know. so <laughs> i mean don't you remember when facebook started to really double down their own infrastructure and like they started like collaborating with others to like build um i remember they were like building their own open source yes. protocol with the, servers yeah their remember? own server racks. like five years in it, or it, something like yeah, that it was so it was, i think that yeah, it was it was before they went public i'm i feel pretty confident yeah, it definitely was it definitely was i mean I, I i guess i have to disagree with you jessica in the sense that yeah they clearly put a ton of money down to like up their you know revenue to this point what was it 411 million dollars something like that yes. uh uh you can't do everything at once. And I can kind of see them saying, okay, for five years, we're going to concentrate on our ad revenue and like building up the server stuff. I can see that being like a longer goal. But I I think, you know, Christine, I'd love your thought on this. My, My real question with Snapchat is, you know, it's an unsexy question, but like, can they get the olds on their network? Like, can they, can this grow in some way? Like Facebook lost a lot of cool once your parents started of course. They're also really grew to a certain critical mass, which is why they're worth so much money today. Like political ads, um, you know, any kind of product, like they are your one-stop shop for everybody. I mean, do you think Snap's future is going to be, you know, really in- investing in kind of user growth? Right now. Because I see them. Yeah, so, go sorry, ahead, sorry, sorry, Oh, I was just going to say with the spectacles, right? Like mm-hmm. I bought a pair of those this so week cool. for my for my campaign, right? And I'm going to get lenses put in them. And it's like, for me, it's like, okay, this is a painless way to like have a social presence on another network, right? I mean, so that seems like a 
a very tenable play to kind of bring people into the Snapchat ecosystem? Or am I wrong on that? What do you think? You're not wrong, but also that doesn't seem to necessarily be their goal. And that is something I actually give them credit for. I mean, one of Twitter's problems, frankly, is that Twitter, a lot of people expected it to be a, a, a billion user service. And it's a 300 million user service, which is nothing to slouch at, but that's how big it's going to be. It's not going to be any bigger. It's never going to reach that critical mass the way that Facebook has or the way increasingly that that Instagram is, is becoming. And Snapchat, I think that they have been very clear about they know who their audience is and their audience is younger. And that's really what they've been touting. And that is a valid question, which is, how do you get bigger? And it was actually kind of funny. Buried within the S1 was kind of like a a user guide, like how to use Snapchat, because they kind of had to explain (laughs) to investors how to use the interface. And and, and they've gone on record before kind of saying, we designed it on purpose to be hard to use because they like the idea of keeping it set to a certain demographic. Yeah, That's fair. And I think that that can work. The problem is, is that that demographic tends to be fickle. So you have to become indispensable in a way that at least so far with a certain generation of users, they are. But but Instagram, as, as an example, has really, you know, copied every single Snapchat feature practically. They have more daily active users. And Instagram, I think for a lot of people, you know, is, is as much a part of their daily routine uh, you know, Snapchat as at least the teens or, or younger, you know, college students that I've talked to have have expressed to me kind of general, you know, they, they, they use Snap maybe more, but but Instagram is something they use for different reasons and, and that they definitely are part of. So I think that they have the potential to maybe, you know, grow and expand the business. And you look at Spectacles and the way Spectacles was marketed, it's kind of interesting that a lot of the promo videos were around families and very much not the demographic at all for, you know, the the typical Spectacle uh, Snapchat user. So I think they could grow. But at the same time, I don't think that's right now anyway, their goal. And, and, I think one of the reasons why they are able to grab grab those advertising dollars away from, say, Twitter and 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 Twitter even admitted, you know, on their last earnings calls that they're losing, you know, to to Instagram and Snapchat um, when it comes to to brand spend. Um, brands are more willing to give them a chance because they want that coveted, you know. Uh, younger demographic. And so yeah. that's more valuable to them. But you're right. I mean, if, if you're going to become profitable at some point, you got to say, you know, can we grow beyond that? I think the bigger the bigger red flag for me isn't so much the age, because I think that if you can, A, you might be able to grow it naturally in a way that, that Facebook didn't. When Facebook opened up to everyone, it, it opened up the floodgates for everyone to join. Um, yeah. I think that there would have been an argument to say if Facebook had remained only college students. And then once you left college, you were allowed to still be in it and maybe invite some of your outside circle in. They, they could have grown in a different sort of way and, and then yeah. you know would have prevented the olds. I think that the bigger problem for Snap is that most of their users are in the United States and their international presence and international growth is not great. And that's, oh, that's an, interesting. And that's, really? Yes. And that's a problem. If I were an investor, I would be looking at that and I would be saying, Okay, it's fine that you've got this this demographic and that you're not planning on being for everyone and that you want to keep the olds away. But what are you doing to get, you know, people in Asia and Europe really active with this platform because right now it's mostly um uh, the United States and that that to me is the bigger problem. 
I mean, isn't that just like a, a time problem? Like it took Apple to, a lot of time to really get the iPhone, you know, established in China, like officially. Sure. And then it was a quarter of like ridiculous amounts of profit, right? Um, I mean, yeah, yes and no, because the social constructs um, of network platforms are different. So you have yeah. in Asia very, very well entrenched um, social services and, and, yeah. and you, yeah. you, you have the WeChats of the world and you have Line and you have Kick and you have these things that frankly, you know, a, a million other services that I, that I can't, you know, that I, that I don't even know the names of that people use. And so the fact that it's this American service doesn't have any cachet and that I, that I think that's potentially a, a bigger problem. All right. All right. Uh, well, Jessica, unless you have anything to add, you want to talk about, you want to talk about no, some Uber? I'm going right. to be old, so. <laughs> I am too. I am too. I'm right there with you. Oh my God. And now it's nerdiest homo force has appeared on the rocket podcast today. Simone, are you here? Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's me. It's you. Oh it's my me, gosh. Nerdy as Turbo Force. I'm here to tell you about some products. <laughs> Go ahead. Please do. Yeah. The first product is Blue Apron. It's the number one recipe delivery service with the freshest ingredients. <laughs> Brianna Wu, how much yeah. do you spend per meal? Oh, God. It's like, uh, isn't it like $50 a week, but then it's divided by three, so it's like cheaper than going to McDonald's? Yes. Yeah. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. <laughs> All right, let's 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 bring Simone back in. Let's bring Simone back in. Nerdiest Tomo Force. Okay, you can, Nerdiest you, you, you Force. Go. go. Yeah. Please go. Okay, she's gone. <laughs> hey, Bree, how's it going? Hey, what's up, nerdiest Tomo Force? She's not here anymore. So, <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, Simone, like, if I sat down and said, these are the letters I would pray in my wildest dreams that Simone de Rochefort will make in an anagram. If I like prayed to every god that exists, it would be nerdiest homo force. And I feel, I feel like we've been blessed with this. So, Let me tell yeah. you a funny story briefly. Yeah. So that yeah. the person, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, who made those wonderful anagrams, made three, one for you, one for me, one for Christina. And mine was actually hidden by the quality filter. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to go oh, looking for it. I was oh, like, everyone got one but me. Oh. And then I found mine and I was like, no, nope, I am the winner here. The I, I've come out on top despite everything. All right. Well, so, let's hear more about Blue Apron. Tell me yes, more about do Blue that. Apron. Yeah. So as you know, Blue Apron delivers fresh ingredients right to your home so that you can cook meals for your dang self, for your family, for your friends. Their mission is to make home cooking accessible for everyone while also supporting more sustainable food systems, which is something that's super important. And of course, they have really high standards for ingredients. And ultimately, they're just building a community of Home chefs, people who know how to cook. Imagine if you and all your friends subscribe to Blue Apron and then any night where you were like, oh, yeah, uh, let me come over, Kelsey, for dinner. And Kelsey's like, I have, with my knowledge of Blue Apron, made this amazing meal from scratch uh, because I am a, a brilliant chef. And then the next night you go over to, to Joe's house and he's like, I, too, as a home chef, have made this incredible high quality meal. The, blue, the world that Blue Apron is creating is a beautiful utopia 
that has no downsides where you just <laughs> all your friends know how to cook really well and you know how to cook really well and you just cook really well for each other uh they have their seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the monterey bay aquarium seafood watch which is freaking awesome and their beef and chicken and pork come from responsibly raised animals and their their farms, the farms that they source from, practice regenerative regenerative farming, which is super important to not that sounds destroying like Wolverine. That sounds like Wolverine, like regenerative. Yeah, you will farming. actually turn yeah. into Wolverine. That the, oh, no wow. adamantium included because I think it's actually really bad for you. But uh, regenerative farming is a go, one hundred percent. Blue Apron's not counting on those seven new planets that NASA discovered. Blue Apron is like, no, we're going to help this planet. And of course, every meal comes with step by step, easy to follow um, instructions on a beautiful recipe card, and you can prepare that meal in forty minutes or less. That's freaking awesome. Uh, Brianna Wu, what's your favorite most recent thing that you cooked with Blue Apron? It's got to be the chickpea burgers that we did a while back. Like, it's not super recent, but it's by far my favorite thing that I've learned how to do. That sounds good. To this day, we um, sometimes, because I jones for them during the week, uh, I'll like go and I buy that stuff at the store to make them. So, yeah, that's the really cool thing about Blue Aprons. Once you figure out a recipe, like if you love it, it's like you just get the list of ingredients and, and order it. So it's awesome. This is like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park learning how to open doors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Simone um, is exactly like that. So some of the things they have on offer, chipotle vegetable and farro salad with avocado and crispy tortilla strips, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs, roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. And of course, if you're vegetarian, you know, there are vegetarian options. If you only eat fish, there are lots of fish options. Um... And they deliver to 99% of the continental United States. There's no weekly commitment. You choose when you want deliveries. You choose how many deliveries you want. So, you know, it's completely tailored to your lifestyle, to the food that you need to eat. The most important thing I can tell you is that you can check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com rocket. Thank you so much, Blue Apron, for turning everyone into gourmet home chefs and for supporting this show. Awesome. So if I say Simone de Rochefort or Nerdiest Homo Force three times, do you disappear? Is it like a horror movie? Let's yes, try that. And I'm- nerdiest Homo Force, Nerdiest Homo Force, Nerdiest Homo Force. Oh, my God. And Simone is gone. So, Christina, uh, you know, how many times do we have a conversation as we're playing the show and we go, you know what? That's political. That's women in tech. We just can't go there week after week after week. Like we we veto that stuff a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot yeah. of it. We do it a lot. Uh, but we unfortunately can't do it uh, this week because uh, it was just such a huge story that blew up. And Jessica, this is why I'm so hyped that you're here same, to same. talk about this. Oh, so yeah, just in case we somehow are living under a rock this week, um, you know, a former Uber engineer, um, she worked there for a year and she left uh, the company in December uh, and moved over to Stripe. And friends were asking her why she left. And she wrote a very, very, very detailed blog that is pretty much just, um, it's just a hodgepodge of every horror story that women in engineering face every single day in our careers. And, you know, some of them were small slights that are really 
they would make me very angry. Like one example was Uber promised every single person at the company a leather jacket, but then they had so few women engineers that they didn't want to buy women engineers any jackets. And then when she complained, uh, they said, listen, if you women want equality, you need to understand that we can't spend more on these jackets. Like we bought them all for the dudes here. You know, it's a bunch of things like that that are just like, kind of jerk store behavior to, you know, flat out sexual harassment in HR refusing to do anything about this. So I guess, you know, Christine, before we kind of get into the the details of it, Jessica, I just wanted to ask you, you and I both work in the same field. Um, I hear stories like this every day. I've experienced this. I've left companies because of it. Like, I mean, what was your thought hearing this? I have never experienced anything so extreme, but again, I spent most of my career in the public sector where we have HR departments that have, that (laughs) That seem to have some, right, that have some understanding of the legal exposure of letting blatant, flagrant sexual harassment and discrimination go totally unchecked. So I don't have a lot of firsthand experience. That said, I I do have a lot of friends who are also women in tech. Um, One woman in particular was like, wow, this is like stories from my three past jobs that all happened to one woman at one job. That's amazing. I'm like, dang. I I have to say that about this. Like, this is what I found really weird about this week. Um, I got to tell you, in my private women engineer circles, we barely talked about this because we know it. Right. Like it's this is every week. And um it was really weird seeing the public go, How could this happen? This is terrible. And I'm like, this is every other freaking week or Google. Like, like, um, yeah, this is nothing new and it's, I am glad the public is hearing it, but we've been telling these stories for years. Guys. Well, well, it's nothing new, except what I think is notable is that she usually, when we hear about this, it's not so soon after something happened yep. and it's not this candid where yeah. she actually went out and like named things. Like people will kind of talk, they'll, they'll, they'll talk privately. They'll say, well, I had this experience and there might be a lawsuit that might have more details. But very rarely do you ever see someone who has a a, a blog post that just goes in and says, this is what happened. NDAs, if there were NDAs, be damned. You know, mm-hmm. um, unrecouped, you know, stock options, if that was part of it, be damned. Like I'm telling my story. And um. I think that that's really notable. I think what she did was incredibly brave and incredibly important. You're right. This isn't a new story. But I think the one of the reasons why this went so viral is because we very rarely see someone willing to put it on the line and publicly name names. Yeah. Um, and and uh, or, or if not specific names, at least the company and, and say, this is what happened to me. And this happened, you know, two months ago. And this is why I left. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I think that you're right. This isn't new, but I think that the the circumstances of how this was um, portrayed is one of the reasons that, and a slow kind of a slow news weekend are are one of the reasons why this. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree. It's kind of similar to Julianne Horvath and you know GitHub, where yes. she really came out with some really particularly damning, you know, um, stories that were very, very vivid. Um, I guess I would say this, like, um, Christine, I really love the recode piece that you showed me and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but you know, this is recode doing what they do best, kind of this investigative, but very industry insider journalism, um, looking at the problems with Uber and how kind of, um, 
you know, to just oversimplify this piece, you know, they start the company, the guys that uh, you made it didn't even think about HR. They grew up to 500 employees before mm-hmm. they hired a dedicated person to HR. And then, you know, when it came to, you know, HR duties, a huge part of that was focused on like management training and leadership training rather than adjudicating this. And it, yep. it seems so similar to the game industry because it's like they have this culture that, you know, is very, very aggressive. Well, what I thought was interesting, I would love your kind of take as, as a as an engineer, um, Jessica, too. But, but what I thought was really interesting about this just f- – um, taking the specifics of the situation aside was the fact that Uber is not disputing the facts in this. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me is hugely damning in most of these cases. I mean, you mentioned the GitHub situation earlier, Bree, and there was dispute. They had an internal investigation, but there were people on both sides who were saying some of these things are accurate. Some of these things might not be there, but there was immediately a pushback from GitHub saying, this isn't accurate. And whether that's true or not, that's usually what you see. That did not happen here. In fact, you know, from by all accounts at the all hands meeting, um, you know, based on reporting from Buzzfeed and from um, uh, Recode, you know, they kind of explained, we had a high performing manager who was not allowing people to transfer departments and was arbitrarily changing reviews for reasons that violated HR codes and we didn't take care of the situation soon enough. And as the recode piece went into details, the HR situation was terrible and was 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 not well managed at all from the beginning, but also the people who were involved weren't given the right authority or maybe didn't have the right training. I'm not really sure. So to me, what was really interesting though is that you're not seeing the company come back and say, this isn't true. And yeah. I, I don't know, like, does that make part of me, part of that kind of makes me feel better that they're not covering this up. But at the other hand, it makes me almost feel like how bad are things at Uber when they're not even, you know what I mean? Are, are things even yeah. worse? Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, this is the company that the way they've gotten market shares through pure aggression, right? Like they go into a market, they try to get them out. They just say, we're going to keep doing our thing. We'll see you in court. Right? Like that's Uber. And I, I hadn't thought about that, Christina, you're really dead on. I mean, Jessica, do you have any thoughts <laughs> about that? That what I, yeah, I mean, there must be more just so just such a huge mountain of completely damning evidence. I mean, it sounds like um, the woman in particular kept a lot of records um, mm-hmm. of her complaints. And to the extent that HR told her it was unprofessional for her to be, you know, keeping a record of their conversations, which is pretty hilarious. Like, who are these people they were hiring for HR anyway? Right. I, I, like, I guess it's nice on the one hand, I maybe I wonder a tiny bit if this is like symptomatic of Uber's overall sort of incompetence at PR in addition. Like, it seems like they're so focused on their white man unicorn engineers that maybe they've also neglected that to some extent. I mean, this this is the second round of Delete Uber in like the last, what, month, 30-day yeah. period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I, maybe they're just like 
bit. I, I don't. I can't even imagine what must be going through their minds. Let me ask you guys this question: um, Since you're both engineers, do these sorts of stories? I mean, on the one hand, I think sunlight is the best disinfectant, and it's good that we know more about these things and and, and these levels of inequality. And I think this is the only way that things can change and that companies can be held accountable, especially large companies like Uber that have raised billions upon billions of dollars. Um, but do you think that hearing these sorts of stories? Does it have a negative impact when it comes to recruiting efforts to getting women Absolutely. involved in tech? Absolutely. And I, that's such an insightful question, Christina. Thank you. Because there is a downside to these, right? Um, I can tell you a lot of women are really scared to even go into engineering. Like we saw a story that came out a few weeks ago that showed our overall numbers are really going down. And, you know, I can say as someone that really, you know, banged on some pots and pans during Gamergate, I know that you know, this is all part of that, right? Like you do have to talk about this stuff so it gets better. But it, I think it's worth saying not everybody has bad experiences. Like Jessica, you found a strategy, um, <laughs> you know, like working at, I, I talked to a lot of women engineers that specifically work for universities because they do have these institutions in place. So, you know, you're dead on, Christine. And the irony is like uh, Uber is going to have a nearly impossible time hiring women from this point. I mean, who are, who is going to go work there until they're convinced that it's fixed, um, so yeah, it absolutely has that effect. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I don't want to give anybody the impression that public universities or the public sector in general are like this nirvana for yeah. women programmers, um, mm -hmm. at all. It's not as bad and things would never get as bad as they were at Uber. Um, I guess the nonprofit sector is also a little bit better. Um, but like the more I meet some of the dudes, of <laughs> of like startups in particular i'm like i would i i would i would go back to working for apple care before <laughs> i would before i would work at a startup like and i worked at apple care for a month <laughs> so that's how much i loved that oh wow yeah yeah i mean uh, there's no easy answer but I, I i think i'd add this to what you're saying christina you know, not all women in tech feel the same way on this, right? right? And there are a lot of people that kind of, they prefer to not make a fuss. They want to keep their head down. You know, sometimes they're very hesitant to do uh, interviews or talk to press. I mean, you have to have run into this in your career, right, Christina? Like talking to sources on stuff like this and they just don't want to get involved. Oh, there, many yeah, times. And well, and right. I, I, look, I mean – in my own experience, which is obviously different, but I am a woman and I've been on the internet, mm -hmm. I've had people harass me. I've had certain situations happen and I haven't spoken out because I haven't yeah. for those same reasons. Right, right. Um, you know, and you've, you've done very well in your career. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just saying not everyone, you know, is comfortable being very vocal about this. One of the lines that I really liked and appreciated from this woman's blog was her talking about how, well, I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do to get promoted. I'm doing conference talks and I'm speaking for, I'm doing a book for O'Reilly. And I was just reading that and going, yes, because I know so many women engineers that very consciously turn down things like that every single day because they, you know, they, they, they don't want to make themselves a target, if that makes sense. Like sure. they want to sabotage their own careers. Uh, so I really appreciated that about this woman. Yeah. I um, also liked how much she insisted on her own value 
as yes. an engineer, which yeah. doesn't doesn't always happen. And it yeah, is something that women in particular do need to do more. I'm pretty obnoxious about it personally. Like <laughs> I'll I'll tell anybody who might listen how awesome I am at my job. Um <laughs> But it also kind of spikes the guns of anybody who would want to be like, oh, well, she just obviously she was just bad at her job. And I know a lot of people who will bend over backward to excuse anything like this. I I, I witnessed in a, a conversation in a Atlanta tech slack that I'm in between a, a one woman said, I am experiencing some obvious sexism at my company. And another woman was like, well, are you sure it's sexism? Are you sure oh, you aren't? Yep. The implication was, are you sure you aren't just worse than all of the male employees? Uh, so yep. that was a fun conversation. And I yeah. um, I was very nice about it, as you might imagine. <sighs> but but aren't those conversations so difficult? Because you are, are private engineering circles without dudes there? I mean, you do have those women and they, do you know what I mean? They're like, do you <laughs> really trust your women. own fit? They're awful. And you want to keep your distance, <laughs> but you can't say GTFO either. I mean, it's, it's stressful to be around. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, um, I guess like, probably a good note to close on like Christina, you know, uh, the word came out after the story really hit critical mass that, you know, uh, for me, former attorney general, uh, Eric Holder, or at least the law firm he's representing right. now, uh, will be investigating this as well as Ariana Huffington getting involved. <laughs> I feel like I have to say here, like, I, I I heard Ariana speak at my college once. She was very nice, but I hear very mixed things about working Same. with her Same. Um, as a person. So, like, I don't know if she'd be the number one person well, she's put on in the, charge. Well, yeah. she's on Uber's she's board of directors. Board. She's, she's on, on the board, board of directors, right. and, and yeah. she's, she's you know, a, a, a well-known, you know, female force. So I think that's part of the reason. But, yeah. Sure. I, Do you have faith in this? Because I don't I know. No, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was seeing something on Twitter. There's there's an app um, called um, Blind, and all this is anonymous, and it's basically a way for people who work at companies such as Microsoft or Amazon or Google or Uber or Twitter to uh, talk anonymously um, to one another without going through bureaucratic layers and in kind of, I guess, it, it's kind of like a Slack, but kind of an anonymous Slack where people can talk openly and candidly about issues happening at their company. And I, I saw a, a screenshot from that app from something, you know, in, I guess, kind of a more common area uh, that showed that since the all hands meeting yesterday in the San Francisco office alone, 113 engineers have given notice. Now, wow. given oh. given the huge number of employees they have and they have in engineering alone, I think this is just a drop in the bucket. That said, that doesn't to me indicate that the meeting was well received. And so it's great to say that you it, – it, I mean, I think that Travis Kalanick, for all of his flaws, did at least come out on this the right way. And I yeah. was at least – it at least was nice that he took it seriously enough to, A, have an all hands, B, you know – assign people to look into this to to do an outside inquiry including you know, Eric Holder and Ariana Huffington and, and have people look into these 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 things and and to you know bring the new HR person into this um those are good signs but it, do, it doesn't seem you know the the broader question of um will this work I don't know because based on what we're hearing you know from the recode piece and from other people who work at Uber including another 
Uber engineer who says that she's staying on mostly because she wants to continue doing the good work. You know, it seems like there are a lot of things that from kind of the top down have been very broken at that company. Um, oh. And and so you wonder what an investigation is going to do. It might show this is everything that happened and how it all happened. And, and, and that might be useful. But is that going to actually get anything to change? And is this a culture that already with 5,000 employees, many of them in technical you know, positions, are, are they already too much a part of, you know, working a certain way? Like, what is it actually going to take to, to, to make the difference and, and, to, and to reverse course? Can, can I end this on maybe a pragmatic note and sure. give some, some, you know, I, I like as an engineer, I like very concrete courses of action to take to solve a problem. I did a lot of work with uh, Ellen Powell on her Project Include uh, last year. And one of the things I did is I started talking to every HR person I knew in the game industry that managed to turn a sinking ship around and figure out how you fix these uh, kind of congenital cultural problems. And I'm not going to give the woman's name, but I'm going to kind of give the story here. So PopCap, when they first started, they were a much smaller company before EA bought them. And they had these exact same kinds of problems. Like even though the the games were kind of candy coated, uh, you know, they had a, a culture, it was all dudes and it was kind of sick and broken and they didn't have good retention. So they brought in this one woman and they made her the VP of culture. And her experience is a really common experience I heard with other people that turned it around. So what they did is they put her in this HR slot and she was answerable only to the CEO of the company And she had a veto over anything. Any kind of hire had to go through her. Um, When things came up, she was able to really, um, you know, step in and talk about it. Uh, So, you know, she, you know, it does run the risk of a monoculture, but she was also able to slowly like shift the company towards, um, you know, a more inclusive vision. And just by having that one you know, hard stop where she could veto things. It allowed her to kind of, um, you know, basically stop a bunch of bad decisions. You know, she, she talked about someone who came in and made some, just like a sexist joke in one of the, one of the meetings where she was listening in on and she vetoed that person. So I think that you've got to have somebody in an organization with the agency to actually put these things forward because the tendency is for, you know, everyone wants to not feel like a sexist (laughs) or a racist or a transphobe, but, you know, doing the actual work to include everyone, it involves like getting your privilege checked. You know, I have my privilege checked as a white woman every day. Right. So, you know, you have to have someone that's empowered to do those things. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That that would be helpful. Okay, okay. Uh, well, we're going to move on. Wait a minute. I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I need some nerdiest homo force in my life here. I feel like I need it. So, nerdiest homo force appear. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Simone. It's uh, me. I was hoping you could come and tell me about some awesome products that I could spend money for and support Rocket. Uh, could you I do that for me? I always know all about these things. Oh, my God. I have something right up my sleeve here. Don't look. I'm just going to reach in and grasp it. It's Squarespace.com. <laughs> I love Squarespace. And, oh, wait, there's something else. There's something behind your ear. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, my God. 
It's offer code ROCKET. You can enter it at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I'm sorry. I'm a little sick, but you know what's sick in the sense of being really cool? Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea, for your previous idea, for your future and current ideas, all of your ideas, with unique domains, award-winning templates, and more. You could create an online store. You could create a portfolio. You could create a blog. You could create an all-in-one platform that has all of those things to sell your art and write about it and show it in a beautiful display in your portfolio. You could do all of these things on Squarespace. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. That's all off the table, literally shoved off the table in a big mess on the floor and then swept right out the door to be picked up by the garbage man. Squarespace doesn't want you to worry about any of those things. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way, and they let you quickly and easily grab unique domain names. So that's Wait, super important. Wait, like Nerdiest Homo Force? I could buy nerdiestomoforce.com oh and my then God, make Brie. a website about it. Oh yeah? my God, Brie. Yeah. We have to do it. We have to do it. I, oh, I'm going to write no. Squarespace right now and see if they'll give us that domain for free. So, Oh, that's the worst thing you've ever asked for, but I'm so, oh. I'm so into it. We oh, got to do it. God. We got to do it. We'll do it. Uh, so, okay. We'll, we'll test how quickly and easily Brianna can grab that domain name. Uh, but in the meantime, they have beautiful minimalist award-winning, award-winning templates that uh, you can use to show off your great ideas. I always, when I look through the templates, end up almost changing my mind about the template that I'm using for my website, even though I really shouldn't. Like, it looks good. It looks fine. Just because I love all the other templates, too, doesn't mean that I have to change my website every week. Just calm down, Simone. So you, too, can pick a template and be happy with it, completely satisfied with it, and then stare at all the other templates and go, I wonder what I could do with you. It's not cheating. It's fine. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you sign up, that's when you use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show and the thank Squarespace for supporting us. So yeah, check that out. You can build a whole website with ju- with a, just the free trial. It's awesome. And um, then you fall in love with it and then you're doomed forever. So thank you so much, Squarespace, for supporting Rocket and Really FM. I just bought the domain nerdiesthomoforce.com, and I'm going to point that to your book, Simone. So next time you're trying to sell your book, you could just say, please, you know, go to nerdiesthomoforce.com and you can check out my work, which you is are very appropriate. Yes, yes, we're going to do that. Okay, so we're going to say you three times, so you go away, and then Christine and I get back fine. to the show. Nerdiest Homoforce, Nerdiest Homoforce, Nerdiest Homoforce. Um, Christina, I want to, I want to, for topic three, Simone was supposed to be here to tell us about Logan and how awesome it is. And because it's one of my favorite comic books with X-23, I wanted to hear about that, but we're going to, we're just going to talk about what we're watching on TV right now. <laughs> okay. Like there's so much good stuff on, like, obviously you're watching The Bachelor. Like what of else course. are you into these days? Okay. So I'm watching The Mick, which is The uh, Mick. The Mick. Is, it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom on Fox and it stars Caitlin Olsen, who you might know from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She's starring on two sitcoms at the same 
same time because she's a badass. <laughs> oh. um, and uh, it's it's a pretty twisted comedy, like especially for basic, like for 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 broadcast TV. Like I'm actually shocked by some of the storylines they do. Her her character is um, a woman, I guess, like like in you know uh, in in her late 30s, early 40s, who. It's kind of a degenerate, you know, uh, drinks a lot, <laughs> smokes a lot, you know, has like yeah. this, this, on, this this boyfriend that she's not beneficial with for 10 years. She's kind of uh, trashy and her older her older sister married well and like lived in a rich part of Connecticut. And so she like drives down from Rhode Island, meets the family to, to, to go to like a barbecue. And they're like, oh, we, we invited you, but we didn't think you'd show up. Well, then the mom, the mom and the dad have have three children who are all brats and rich. Well, the youngest one's kind of sweet. And um, anyway, the, the feds end up uh, raiding the the party and, and the parents end up fleeing the country because they've apparently been involved in some sort of, you know, tax evasion scheme or something. <laughs> and so she's left with the three kids. Um, the oldest one is, is like a 17 year old that um, girl who is very pretty and very smart and very sassy. And then there's like a, a you know, teenage, you know, like, like 13 year old um, son, who's just like a total brat. And then there's, there's like a, a six year old who's, who's weird. And, um, and then they have the housekeeper um, who she quickly kind of turns from being the housekeeper to just kind of being her partner in crime. Anyway, it's a funny show. It's, it's on Hulu. It's on Fox. I enjoy it. It's um, they they deal with certain things like the youngest son Ben, progressively week to week, just keeps getting more and more weird because of the things that they they they, they, they this poor child is 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 being so abandoned. And um, you know, like he at one episode, you think that he has an imaginary friend. The reality ends up being far more disturbing. But but you think that he has an imaginary friend where he's like taking like things like uh um power tools too and and you know uh talking in a voice that makes it seem like you know he's being told to, to do certain things and and he's accused of burning down a house like i said that the end the, the end story ends up being even more disturbing there's a a whole episode about a uh a, a clown who everyone thinks is a heroin addict who almost dies in the bathtub at, at a birthday party um it's it's a weirded kind of perverse show, but I really enjoy it. So that's that's one of the ones I'm watching. If you like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and you like more like absurdist kind of comedies, um, the Mick is definitely worth watching. I'm remembering this. I saw the trailer for it, and it's like it's like Bad Teacher, yes, but like Adventures in Babysitting. Yes, like that's, it's those that's two perfect. That's together. perfect combo. Yeah. But, but yet, it, like again, what's interesting is this airs on the Fox Network. Like this doesn't air on FX or FXX. Uh, where you would expect to see this sort of thing. And there are certain stuff that they get away with that I'm like, huh, didn't hmm. think. Well, didn't... come on. You got to give us an example. You keep okay. alluding to this. Right, I need, I need right, some right. dirt. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a whole episode that, that uh, it, it surrounds the 17-year-old having sex with her boyfriend throughout the house. And she's refusing <laughs> to use birth control because she doesn't like what the chemicals do. And that's a whole thing. Anyway, they team up and decide to trick her into thinking she's pregnant so that she will actually <laughs> use birth control. This is amazing for a couple of reasons. One, they actually show an underage like teenager having sex more than once and repeatedly as a joke on a sitcom, which you don't see. Um, and, and clearly for enjoyment too, like they're literally like trying to trick her into thinking that she's pregnant. It's, it's it, it, the sort of thing I would never expect to see on a, on a sitcom that airs at like eight 30 at night. I just wouldn't. Oh my God. 
So, yes, as a congressional candidate, I will not be watching the show immediately <laughs> after I leave. This is uh, very disturbing for America's youth. Yeah, so, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jessica, what are you watching these days? Um, so the, I guess the thing that I've been able to pay the most attention to, tearing myself away from Pocket Card Jockey, which is really, really difficult. <laughs> I'm so addicted to that game. Um, is So My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a really yes. good show. With a horrible title. I mean, such a good when, show. Like, you see the title and you're like, what is this sexist nonsense? But that's like part of the joke. And I do kind of wish that somebody had been like, eh, it's not going to be obvious enough that, that the character is in on the joke and it's a whole thing. They like kind of debunk the whole like stereotype. It's such an amazing show. The it's music so- is so good. It is. Oh my god. The production values of like every episode are astonishing. The the lead actress like um whose name is not I'm I'm like mixing together her real name and her Rachel character B- name. Rachel Bloom. Right, Rachel Bloom. <laughs> she is astonishing. And I love that she's not like your stereotypical like skinny pretty Hollywood actress. She's pretty. She's like she's gorgeous, but she's heavier and she's short and she's she's not a model. And but she's an amazing person, and it doesn't like she is a person, and 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 it's so like kind of reassuring to see somebody who isn't like model perfect being uh, a a heroine of sorts, or at least a protagonist, yes. and somebody who isn't. I mean, a lot of times the fat character is a bad character. Yup. Or like the butt of a joke. Like that was the the worst thing about Jessica Jones was like that opening scene where she just like gratuitously fat shames that woman, which told like whoever wrote that scene, I hope never writes another scene <laughs> for anything ever. Um, but yeah, so My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is an amazing show with amazing music. I wish that um, they had known during the first season that they were going to renew it for a second because like my favorite boyfriend had mm-hmm. to believe the show because <laughs> oh, he didn't yeah. know yeah that was hard. i've never seen it because i is exactly what you said i'm like why is the sexist nonsense i'm right, not gonna right. watch this it, it, oh, it, it's no. a musical brie it's so good it's so funny it's oh, about this girl oh. the, who's who's a lawyer who like moves across the country to kind of reunite with her her boyfriend from summer camp when she was right. in, in middle school, 15. like when she was like 15 years old, like her, but she considers her true love and kind of finds her way into this weird little town. And the music is so good. Um, I really enjoyed the show. Rachel Bloom won the golden globe. Um, Rightly for, so. uh, for, for her performance and, and which was a big deal. And, and, you know, it got renewed. Um, I, I was excited when it got renewed for a second season. Um, the, the soundtrack I, I've, I listened to on iTunes. I won't even lie. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love the heavy boobs song the most. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good, and that, oh my God, the, I mean, it's a little bit painful to watch that whole dance scene, but like, it's amazing at the same time. <laughs> You're going to have to give me a link to that so we can put you in the show notes, the heavy oh. boom song that has to be there. We'll find you on YouTube. Oh, my God. I feel bad because like, both of you are like comedies. Um, no, we, yeah, we, we, tell, tell, us, tell so, us something different. Okay. So, so Christina, when we first started doing Rocket, you were like, okay, I really – get that 24 is your show and yes. it is like i love that show this is your show i've seen every season of that so many times so you know 24 legacy is back on the air and it was a real question if they could save this series without Kiefer sutherland um you know who is just it's been his job to suffer as jack bauer and go through the most horrible things for nine seasons and 
I'm not going to tell you it's as good without him because they're still in this phase of like building up characters and stuff, but it's really strong. I'm really, really surprised with it. So um, first you've got, um, you know, basically the actor from uh, straight out of Compton that played Dr. Trey, who's mm-hmm. so hot. He's so hot. He's so good. He's so believable. Is it Corey Hawkins? Is that his name? Um, I'm, I'm like looking. 99% sure that's it. Um, he's awesome. He's awesome. And he's not as interesting as Jack Bauer yet. Like the, Jack Bauer was like this character that would do anything in a situation to just get the job done, which is a character trait I deeply admire. Um, yeah, this guy's more, um, he's a former army ranger. So he's really loyal to his teammates and you see him like going through these extreme situations because he's not going to lay his friends down, which is a very different character motivation. Uh, my favorite character on the show is Miranda Otto, who like Jessica, you watch Homeland too, right? Like she played the she played the broken agent last she was season. Gr- she was great on Homeland. She, oh, and she's so gorgeous and she's so awesome in this role. So basically, uh, her husband is running for um, for is it Senate this time? Yeah, he's running for Senate. It and um, you know, he's uh, it's really mirroring the first uh, season of 24, and she's a former CTU director, and now she's kind of like forcing herself back in the door to kind of take care of the situation. So, I don't know, it's um, it's a really good season so far, and I'm hoping that it's gonna you know keep up the steam and build up the characters. Uh, but it does worry me that they only uh bought 13 episodes of it. Uh, <laughs> well, they'd maybe- said if it makes you feel any better, I, I think the creator had said that they only wanted it to be like like 12 episode seasons yeah yeah. and uh, live another day the last season of 24 only had 12 episodes and it was by far the strongest because they cut all these ridiculous plot lines where (laughs) oh i guess uh starbuck from battlestar galactica is actually the southern double agent that committed a murder and now she's jenny and she's like trying to steal some money they cut all that fat from the show and just made 12 really good episodes instead uh but this because there's so much character description and you're trying to learn who the characters are it doesn't have that energy that live another day did so i don't know we'll see where it goes um are we going to see i mean art because i haven't watched do any of the the characters from the original series or, or from the yes. last season did they make an appearance Yes, uh, Tony Almeida is going to come back uh, very soon. We haven't seen him in the show yet, but uh, we know it's going to happen from the previews. Uh, But the last place we left it, uh, Chloe, we haven't seen her. Jack Bauer is still in prison in Russia, probably. Uh, So, you know, they've got a lot of directions they can go. And I think it's interesting that they brought back Tony, the guy who, you know, died twice on the show and they found ways to write him back in. So, uh, but it's definitely a whole new series by itself and it doesn't have any continuity to worry about so awesome uh christian where are you up to this week so i'm finishing up some reviews and some different things i'm doing kind of a big uh, broad test on mesh networks that will be uh-huh. up in the next few weeks but it's kind of a big project because i've got to test all these different routers and see how good they are i also just reviewed and i think it'll be up uh by the time this this show airs or, or at least soon afterwards but i reviewed a, an alienware um 13 gaming laptop and uh, it's really good. It's, re- it's a really is good it? laptop. Is it? Can you say it? Yeah, yeah. no, I can say it. it. Yeah, there's no embargo. It's a really good laptop. Um, How much is it? Um, well, the one that I tested as configured is about $2,000, but you can get one okay. with less than that. For the $2,000, this is a 13-inch laptop, which is cool. Um, it has a 2560 by 1440 OLED screen, 
and it has a, a GTX 1060 graphics card. Um, so, you know, mobile, obviously, but, um, you know, it's good enough to do VR. So you could, you know, use it with Oculus or, or with a, a HTC Vive. Um, and I mean, I was, I'm, was getting some very good frame rates and some very good performance out of Resident Evil 7. <gasps> and, uh, because I've been playing that. Um, so that's, that's what I've been up to. I have it in my house and I can't play because I'm too busy with my campaign. Oh uh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Jessica, where are you up to this week? Um, mostly sending out garbage tweets. I, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even tweet angrily as much as I used to. My, it's, it's really different being in the private sector. Like we have to work all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have Slack. It's terrible. I mean, the, the concept of Slack as a times you're not actively working toward anything because we have a huge, um, theoretical deadline coming up um i guess i uh i will probably be recording a new episode of my long suspended podcast um totally uncool about the squirrel that i ousted um from my basement <laughs> just today actually um so that that was a lot of excitement that you should have I gotten it on video you could have been a hero like those squirrels. Oh. Yeah, and we like we trapped it in a humane trap. Uh, well, like I I baited the trap and then I left, and my husband dealt with it while I was at work, and he <laughs> he eventually <laughs> he released the squirrel into a local park, so it should be happy and whatever, and we didn't hurt it or anything. Although I kind of like was less disinclined to injure that animal than most other animals. Yeah. yeah i don't know i thought um i really wanted to take the video of the you know girls scooting the rat down the stairs oh my god that was so good it was so good and what i wanted (laughs) to do is um take that video into after effects and then just put milo yiannopoulos's face (laughs) (laughs) scooting out and my campaign manager is just like you can't do that no no (laughs) no you can't do that those these are things you can't do anymore well it's terrible i hate it um what am i doing listeners listeners you know your mission yes please make that happen (laughs) make it happen Uh, i'm doing a bunch of media i'm doing a bunch of fundraising uh i'm gonna do a 20 minute interview on npr this week which i'm very happy about and i'm also gonna have a profile in the new york times magazine uh on the yeah really looking forward to that so yeah, just campaign stuff. It's this is gonna be a theme every week, Christine. It's like I'm raising money and doing media. Like that's my job these days. It's terrible. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you like our show, you can review and rate it. Jessica, what I want to hear from you is your angriest instruction for the listeners to go and review the show. I want you to feel your Jack Bauer. I want you to rate the fing show, you mother. <laughs> 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 Yes, yes, that yes, was scary. Yes. That I was, was really I was, I was too. I'm like, fine, I'm gonna open up iTunes. Damn it. <laughs> I do have a reputation for being terrifying at work that I really don't think I've done that much to earn, but eh, I'll take it. I think you should go with it. You should go with it. All right. So mom would say some stuff because she's professional and I'm just winking it here. I probably missed some stuff. So I'm just gonna say this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Terminated.